If you have a Bible, please turn with me over to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, familiar verses, but uh, don't be one of those, by the way, that when it comes to familiar verses, you say, oh, I know that one. You tune out, all right? I will tell you this from personal experience. You don't know everything about it. No one knows everything about the Word of God, and it's a whole lot deeper than we give it credit for. So we see great, precious truth. Now, many people have become believers through the truth that we find in John chapter 3 and verse 16 in particular, and of course following as we're going to see today. But in very quick review from last week, we started talking about what is salvation? What is that? What does that mean if somebody says they're saved? What in the world does that mean? Saved from what? That's a good question. Because the word salvation has a context to it. You can have salvation, you can be saved from you know, drowning. You could be saved from you know, a pesky salesperson at your door. You could be saved from a lot of different things. What is salvation? Well, what does it mean to be saved? Well, biblically speaking, this is foundational to any teaching about the Christian life. If you want to understand the Christian life, you have to understand salvation to begin with, because that is a foundation upon which everything else is built. Now, the word salvation itself means deliverance. That's what it means. It means deliverance. And in this context, it means to be delivered from an eternity in hell to an eternity with God in heaven. Okay, let me say that again. When we talk about salvation from a biblical perspective, as far as eternal life goes, okay, in this context, it means to be delivered from an eternity in hell to an eternity with God in heaven. And so when I, if I was to say I have salvation, I mean that I have been delivered from hell to heaven. Now the question today is how does that come about in a person's life? Well, in John chapter 3 in verse 16, Jesus says this. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, referring to himself, of course, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now you break that down. You see there are two promises to the person who will believe or put their faith in Jesus Christ as their savior to get them to heaven. Two promises. One, you will not perish. That would be spend forever in hell. But the second is you have everlasting life, which would be forever with God in heaven. Now when does that everlasting life start? Well, it doesn't start when you die. It starts the moment you believe, according to scriptures. Jesus said, he that believeth on me hath, possesses now, present tense, everlasting life. So that's why we can say, hey, I know I'm going to heaven when I die. That's not boasting, all right? If you have biblical salvation, you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you believe what he says, that when you trusted in him, he gave you that moment everlasting life, and it's, it's everlasting, it lasts forever. Now that's just simple. But you know, folks, it's not simple in people's minds today because there's all kinds of confusion being taught about this issue. Look at verse 17. It says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he is not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now notice in verse 16, whosoever believeth in him. Verse 18, he that believeth on him. Verse 18, he that believeth not. The end of the verse, 
because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. God's trying to tell us something, which leads us to our second point. How does a person obtain eternal salvation? Well, if you've been paying attention so far, it should be very clear, okay? By trusting in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. We see that in verse 16. We see that in verse 18. Now, we could go on to verse 36 as well, but we're not going to, but you might want to write that down as a reference. Now, this is how you're saved, by trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior, believing that when he died on the cross, he paid for all of your sins and rose from the grave, okay? You're putting your faith in him, and I'll be repeating myself some this morning on this, so uh, know that, that that's coming, okay? But I'm laying the groundwork for this. Now, No verses in the Bible explain the terms of salvation any clearer than Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And I want you to turn there in your Bible with me. And dear friend, if you understand what we are about to cover and you put your faith in the truth that is here, the moment you do, God will save you forever from hell. You can be sure you're going to heaven You can be sure before you walk out of this room that you're going to heaven whenever you die. And no one knows when they're going to die. So let's take a close look at them. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It says this, For by grace are you saved, through faith. Now that word faith is the noun form of what we saw in John 3, 16 and 18, for believeth. There it's a verb, obviously. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Let's break it down, okay? Take it little by little. This is a defining moment in our series, okay? This is a foundational moment in our series. Notice the first phrase, for by grace are ye saved, What is grace? That's a legitimate question. Well, grace is unmerited favor or kindness. Unmerited favor or kindness. It is not something we deserve because of something we do. It's not based on merit or action. One source says this, grace is a favor done without expectation of return. The absolute free expression of the loving kindness of God to men, finding its only motive in the bounty and benevolence of the giver, unearned and unmerited favor. In other words, God acts in grace towards us simply because he wishes to do so, okay? He doesn't act in grace towards us because we do something faithfully or or sacrificially or good works of some kind and then God says oh okay I'll save you by grace okay that would not be grace grace is unmerited grace is undeserved it is simply God choosing to deal with us in a certain way that we don't in any way deserve we are saved you notice in verse 8 for by grace are you saved we are saved literally have been saved or delivered by God's grace his unmerited kindness his unmerited favor towards us in other words there's nothing I can do to deserve it he chooses to save me by his grace based on simple faith Okay, now I know there are people who will say, there may be people who will watch this or listen to this and they'll say, well, see, but it isn't unmerited the way you're describing it because you have to believe. 
Yeah, but God says that faith, he makes it very clear in the word of God, faith is not a meritorious act. Romans 4, 5 says, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. God does not consider faith a meritorious act. It is simply us believing something. Folks, it's passive. It's not something that you have to keep doing once you've done it. Very important. He saves us, however, just not because he wants to. He saves us based on the work of Christ on the cross. Okay. Now, let me say this very clearly, and I, I kind of want to nail this. We are at times in our church and ministry and those who are like-minded with us, we are at times criticized for our stance on the gospel and we get accused by people. Uh, they, they love to accuse us of preaching easy believism, which is an interesting term in itself. Or they'll say, you believe in cheap grace. Or even now, the, the modern one in the, in the breakdown of our culture, which we're hearing oftentimes now, oh, you're one of those churches that believes in greasy grace. Now, I have no idea where they get that. Matter of fact, let me, let me say this. And for those of you who may be watching, if you would ever accuse any of us of believing that, you ought to be ashamed of yourself because you didn't get that out of the Bible because you will not find the term greasy grace anywhere in the pages of Scripture. Therefore, for you to accuse anybody of greasy grace is heresy, okay? It's heresy. Now, maybe I ought to be a little firmer on that. But this is the truth. Listen. There's only one kind of grace, and it's amazing grace, okay? It's unmerited, undeserved. That's the grace of God, and we're going to explain why salvation has to be by grace. This idea of preaching, uh, we believe in an easy believism. Well, by the way, what is it, hard believism? Is it hard believism? Jesus said, if you believe or trust in me, you have everlasting life. Is that a matter of straining of some kind or clenching your fists? While you believe, no, it's trusting it to be true on your behalf. Well, I'll define that in just a moment. But these accusations, uh, listen, it's a gross and disgusting distortion of the truth. And in reality, it's a straw man. God's justice and holiness, folks, had to be satisfied. God could not save us by his grace without our sins being fully paid for. You might say, well, I thought it was unmerited. It is on our part, it is unmerited. But you see, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God also had to be satisfied before God could extend that free gift, not based on works. It had to be satisfied in his eyes. So to say it's cheap grace is discounting the work of Christ on the cross. God's justice and holiness had to be satisfied. Our sins had to be paid for before he could ever offer us eternal life and salvation by grace. Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is death. Do you see that? That had to be paid for. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, do you see that? The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus paid the price on Calvary by shedding his blood and making the full payment that was necessary to provide for us salvation as a gift. Jesus, after hanging on the cross and paying the price, 
He exclaimed from the cross in John chapter 19, verse 30, he said, it says this, when Jesus therefore, now remember, he's on the cross. He'd been there for three hours. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. It is finished. That word finished means paid in full. It was a term used by accountants of the day to where when taxes were paid or bill was paid, they would write on there, paid in full. Jesus was saying on the cross, it has been paid in full. What has been paid? The wages of sin had been paid. My sins had been paid for. Your sins had been paid for when he died on the cross. The debt has been taken care of. The work has been done. He died as our substitute and he paid for our sins so that we would not have to pay for our sins. And of course, we know three days later, he literally, physically came back from the dead to prove that he had paid for our sins. You see, God would not have resurrected him had the payment not been satisfactory. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. Hold your place in Ephesians, by the way. And it says in verse 10, Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, I'm not just going to read over that. I think it's important to say or ask, what in the world is a propitiation? And by the way, you know, a lot of your modern translations, they'll take that word and they'll break it down and give it, put a definition in there. All right? I think it's important for us to keep the words of the Bible in the Bible, don't you? And, and you know what, folks? God simply wants us to teach what it means. And that way, once we see it, we know. The propitiation means the satisfactory payment or the payment that satisfies. That is what Jesus was talking about when he was on the cross. It is finished. He's saying, I have made the satisfactory payment for sin. That's what he was saying. He satisfied the justice of God required by the Father. Listen, God cannot let us off the hook until our sins are paid for. Okay? That's not cheap grace. Sin has to be paid for. God doesn't take that lightly. His holiness had to be satisfied. Okay? His justice... Or his holiness had to be upheld. His justice had to be satisfied. We're guilty. Listen, friend, you are guilty. And if you don't accept the payment Jesus made on your behalf, you'll die in your sins. Did you know that? You'll die in your sins. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am Jehovah God, Savior, unless you believe that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. See, the payment Jesus made is not good on your behalf until you trust in him as your Savior. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter two. So it says, for by grace are you saved. By God's unmerited favor are you delivered from hell to heaven. For by grace are you saved, secondly, through faith, through faith. You've got some evangelists today who are actually perverting the word of God and they're saying the word believe doesn't mean simply to believe. It means to be live. And so the, in the word believe, it means you have to live for Christ. Listen, they must be coming from another planet or something. 
That is just absolutely ridiculous. Why would somebody say that? Because they cannot let go of works for salvation. They refuse to let go. They cannot accept the fact that they cannot earn or merit eternal life. And so they have to change the meaning of the words. Many religions, the Catholics, the Mormons, they believe that grace is not unmerited favor. They believe that grace is something God gives you. It's sort of like a spiritual, and I'm not trying to be condescending on this or or sarcastic. It's almost like a spiritual multivitamin that God gives you that enables you to work faithfully and earn your way to heaven. So if you talk to a Mormon and you say, "Well, well, you don't believe in salvation by grace. Oh, yes. Through faith. Oh, yes. Here's what they believe. That you look to the Lord by faith. He gives you grace so you can earn your way to heaven by your works. That's what they believe. No. Through faith. When we simply believe or trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, as the one who paid for all of our sins, God saves us. The Greek word for faith is the Greek word pistis. Faith in this context is not simply believing something historically, okay? It is personally trusting in something or someone. In other words, here's the point. Let me make the application here. There are many people who believe Jesus died on the cross to pay for sin. They'll, they'll believe that. That's what their religion teaches, okay? I was raised that. I My whole life, I believe Jesus died on the cross to pay for sin. However, I never put my faith in him as the one who did that for me. I never trusted in him as the one who did that for me. I believed it as a historical fact, but I didn't trust him as my personal savior. That's why we use that term, personal savior, okay? If you would have asked me growing up, is Jesus the savior of the world? I would have said, oh yeah, I wasn't saved. Because I also believe I had a part in it, my good works. But when I understood at age 19 that I could not earn my way to heaven and I put my faith, my trust in him as my savior, that's when I was saved. That's when I was delivered. It is having full confidence in the promise of God. The old Schofield Study Bible says this, quote, for salvation, faith is personal trust apart from meritorious works in the Lord Jesus Christ as delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification, unquote. You know who's a a great example of faith and understanding what faith is? I want to show it to you. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, we come to an Old Testament saint. And by the way, you know, I hear regularly, well, you know, uh, people in the Old Testament were saved by their works, but now we're saved by faith. No, no. No one has ever been saved by works. You cannot earn your way to heaven. Nowhere has it ever say in scripture that you can earn your way. Why? No one ever has. You can't be perfect in your works. We're under condemnation. We need a savior. That's why God, as soon as man sinned in Genesis 3, he promised the seed that would come one day to be our deliverer. And all through the Old Testament, they look forward to the day when the Messiah would come and make a payment for sin. He did that. His name was Jesus. He rose from the grave. And now those of us who are on this side, we look back at what was done. They were looking forward to what would be done. It's all the same salvation, and it's all in the same person. No, the Old Testament saints didn't know him by name. 
They knew him as the Messiah, yes, the anointed one who would make payment for their sin. Little did they know that his name would be Jesus, which means God who is our Savior. Amazing stuff, isn't it? Are you getting this today? I hope you are. Romans chapter 4, we have the case of Abraham. Now, Abraham and his wife Sarah had been promised that God would give them a son in their old age. And of course, we know that son was Isaac. So God promised them this. However, they had a serious problem. Their bodies were past the age of having children. They couldn't have children anymore. Well, how is that going to happen? How is God going to do that? Well, in order for them to have a child, God would have to work a miracle. And in fact, he did. He worked a miracle. He quickened or made their bodies alive so that they could. We pick it up in Romans chapter 4 and verse 18. Referring to Abraham, it says, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now here you go, verses 20 and 21. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Here you go. And being fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised, he, God, was able also to perform. That's a beautiful definition and illustration of faith. What God has promised, he is able also to perform. God, you have promised if I will trust in Jesus Christ as my savior, you will save me. I believe bring salvation, okay? God tells us in verse 21 what faith is all about. It's being fully persuaded what God has promised he can do. Abraham had to put his confidence in what God said. Faith is having full confidence in what God says. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. You may know that you have eternal life. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Yes, Yes, I have. Okay. Then right right in 1 John 5, 13, it says, you can know you have eternal life. Let me ask you, do you know you have eternal life? Well, I hope so. Let me ask you a question. Have you believed in Jesus Christ as your savior? See, friend, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your savior, you can know you have eternal life. God wants you to be fully persuaded that what he has promised, he is able also to perform. He'll give you eternal life. When we trust in Christ, we are depending upon him to save us. In the context of salvation, we need to believe what the Bible says about Jesus Christ and the payment he made on our behalf. You're putting your faith in him and what he did for you. That's what brings salvation. And it's based on he saved you by his grace through faith, through trusting in Christ. Do we get it? Let's move on. Ephesians 2 verse Eight again, and that not of yourselves, for by grace are you saved. How? Through faith. And notice what it says, and that not of yourselves. Now, what does this refer to? Oh, listen, this there's battles going on over this today. It's not complicated. If you believe the Bible and you are you are able to compare scripture with scripture, you have no problem with this. The problem is when you get educated beyond your intelligence. And you start resisting what God has said and coming up with your own skewed ideas, okay? Now listen, I don't like having to get into all the Greek construction and all this kind of stuff. 
any more than I have to. Today we're going to get into it a little bit here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, because I think it becomes very clear. The only reason I'm covering this today is because of the Calvinists. Because they will say, where it says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. They'll say faith is what it's referring to, the that not of yourselves. No, friend, it's not. Think about it. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. What is it referring to? Being saved is what it's referring to, not faith. How do you know that? Well, verse 9 says it is the gift of God. Wait a minute, that sounds familiar. We've already been there today. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. Lord, what is the gift of God? Oh, it's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Salvation is the gift of God. Isn't that simple? Why do we complicate this? That not of yourselves. Salvation is not something we achieve. It does not come from us. That would be contrary to grace by nature. Grace is unmerited. Salvation has to do with God providing for us his righteousness as a gift. Our righteousness is of no value. Friends, your good works are of no value. Verse 9 says, not of works, but not only that. Isaiah 64, 6 tells us that our righteousness in God's eyes is as filthy rags. Now, how about that? I won't go into detail on just how filthy that is. It says this, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. God says the best you can do is as filthy rags in his sight. So here we are, we think, oh, I'm going to earn my way. I'm going to be good. I'm, gonna, I'm not just going to believe. I'm going to believe because that's what the preacher said. And I'm going to surrender all. And I'm going to live faithfully and all. And God, look what I've done. Look at how faithful I'm being, all this. God says, I'm not impressed. You're offering me filthy rags. The only thing I will accept is my very own righteousness. Are we as righteous as God? No, no. Could never be as righteous as God unless he was so gracious to us to give us his righteousness as a gift. That is exactly what salvation is about. When you trust in Christ, God not only gives you eternal life, he gives you his very own righteousness. For he, God, hath made him, Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Now let's get back to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. And I want you to see this. And here we go. A little bit of technical stuff, but hold on to your hat. Don't check out, okay? Keep focused. You need to know this. We all need to know this. It says, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now, the word grace is of feminine gender, Okay, the word, words, words have a gender to them. The word grace is a feminine gender. It says, are ye saved? Saved, the word saved is neuter form, okay? Through faith, faith is feminine as well. But saved is not feminine. Remember, it's, it's neuter form. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. A.T. Robertson, the Greek scholar, he says this, and that... Neuter, not feminine, so refers not to pistis or faith, which is feminine, or to charis, which is the, the word here for grace, feminine also, but to the act of being saved by grace conditioned on faith 
on our part. Now listen, there's not a person in this room that is as much of a Greek scholar as A.T. Robertson was. Basically what he's saying is this, listen, the modern Calvinists have it wrong. That's what he's saying. And if you just don't even know Greek, but you can read and you can cross-reference, you know where it says that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, has to refer back to saved because the wages of sin of death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It's not grace, it's not faith. People say, well, but isn't, no, faith, faith is a gift. I mean, that's a gift from God. Well, you know what? Seeing God created man with the ability to believe, I would agree on a universal level. But it isn't, friend, here's what the Calvinists teach. They'll say this, you can't believe unless God gives you faith. I got news for you, bud. When you were created, God gave you faith because you started believing things when you were created. Oh, no, we can't accept that. No, you're just bent on the idea of this some are elect and some aren't based on God's just choosing simply because he wants to. No, 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 that's, that's not it. Every person has faith. God has dealt to everyone a measure of faith, the scriptures say. So everyone has faith. You might say, well, prove that. It's easy. When you go to your, in your house and you turn on the lights, you have faith, right? You don't even think twice. You flip that up and you expect the lights to come on. That's faith. You're trusting in Excel Energy. <laughs> no, actually, they do a very good job. You're trusting in Excel Energy to provide. I hope you see this. Paul shows that salvation does not have its source in men, but from God. Besides, it is God's gift and not the result of our work, which leads us to the fourth point here. It is the gift of God. The word gift simply means present. Just like we get, you know, your birthday comes, you get presents. What are those? They're gifts. You don't owe anything back. You don't have to pay them for it. You don't have to promise anything. It's a gift. Salvation is a gift. Now, doesn't that go perfectly with the fact that it's unmerited, undeserved? Every gift is unmerited and undeserved. If you gave me something and you said, now, here's what you need to do to keep that. You got to do this and this and this. Wait a minute. That's not a gift. Or the great advertising of today, you know? Buy one. Get another for free. Wait a minute. That's not free. I have to buy one to get that. What you're telling me is this. You're selling me two of them for 50% each. Because if I don't buy one, you won't give me that free one. That's not free. Free is this. Like when Chick-fil-A opened here in town. Okay, and I don't go there. We don't go there very often. But when Chick-fil-A opened in town, they were giving away free chicken sandwiches. Really? Yes. And when I say free, I mean free. You go there, they hand it to you, you can drive away or eat it. No strings attached. You don't have to buy a drink. You don't have to buy fries or whatever. Absolutely free. That's free. And that's what salvation is, free. You trust in Jesus Christ that he died and paid for your sins and he gives you the free gift of eternal life. What do I have to do to have it? Just simply trust in him. What do I have to do to keep it? Nothing. It's a gift. What obligation? No obligation. It's a gift. Do we get it? It's a gift. Look with me to Romans chapter 5. And God makes it very clear here. He's talking again about salvation. Gifts are free. We merely receive them. Paul makes that clear here in Romans verse, uh, chapter 5 verse 15. He says, but not as the offense, so also is the what? 
free gift. For if through the offense of one, Adam, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ hath abounded unto many. Jump down to verse 17. For if by one man's offense, Adam, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life. How? By one, Jesus Christ. Now you notice in verse 15, free gift. Later on in the verse, the gift by grace. Verse 17, the gift. Do you get the point? Now, more and more of it in this. Did you notice, though, in verse 15 of of Romans chapter 5? It is as if the Lord knew that some theologians down through the ages would try to redefine gift as something other than what it is. So God says, I'll show you. I'll put the word free in there with it. Just where you get it through your thick skulls that I mean what I say and say what I mean. All right? And he does. Therefore, the Bible clearly states it is free in the text. Now, let me say it again. All gifts are free. All gifts are free. If they are not free, they are not gifts. Do we get that? Friend, if you are holding on to your faithful living, good works, as part of your way to heaven, you have not accepted salvation as a gift. You are thinking you have to earn that. You're trusting in your works. If you think you have to be faithful to the end of your life as a believer, you are trusting in yourself. You haven't accepted salvation as a gift. Therefore, you're not saved. If you're saved, you got saved somewhere along the line and then very confused. Romans 6.23, again, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Now remember, it is free to us, not because it is cheap, but because the blood of Jesus Christ paid the price in full. That's nothing less than amazing grace. Do you think it's interesting that that is the most popular hymn of all time? Amazing grace. Sad to say there are a lot of people who sing it and they don't even understand what it is. I sang it growing up as a Catholic. I had no clue. Until my first church service after I was saved, And I went to Florida Bible Church and they sang Amazing Grace and all of a sudden it just, the meaning of it just opened up to me. Why? Well, because I have now experienced what grace was. Okay, back to Ephesians 2. It says this, verse 9. It says, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, doesn't that just follow perfectly verse 8? If it's by grace, which is free and undeserved and unmerited, it has to be not of works. If it's of works, then it's not grace, Romans eleven six. Because we cannot do any work as lost people to please God, because we can never be as righteous as God, and that's what we need, God's very own righteousness, because we could never pay for our own sin except by spending forever in hell, and therefore it would never get fully paid, because we're forever there. Because Jesus Christ did the work for us. He did the work for us. Therefore, it is not of works. Because he did the work. And salvation is a gift. That's why it says in Romans chapter 3, in verse 27, where is boasting then? Would you turn there? You've got to see this. Romans chapter 3, in verse 27. <clears throat> 
Paul is arguing here in chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. Chapter three gets in, there are none righteous, no, not one. There's none that seeks God and all these kind of things. No, not on man's own, but he's being drawn. Every man is being drawn by the Holy Spirit and by the cross work of Christ. We know that. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We know that. Therefore, none of us can make it. We're disqualified. We're flawed. How are we going to get to heaven? Jesus came to die for us. He made the complete payment for our sins and rose from the grave. And he says, if you'll trust in me that I made the payment for you, I'll give you everlasting life. See, if you trust in Christ, he's the savior. What do you have to boast about? Nothing, because he did it. He's the reason we go to heaven, not by what we do, but what he did. Romans 3.27, where is boasting then? It is excluded. (laughs) By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified, watch the language, by faith, believing. That a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And by the way, there is no higher standard of good works than the Mosaic law, than the commandments, okay? You're justified by faith without, some Bibles say, apart from the deeds of the law. Both of them are good, both of them are true. In other words, folks, listen carefully because this is the thrust of this series we're doing. You are not saved by the grace of God and your faithfulness. That would be like the works of the law. You are saved by grace through faith alone and Christ alone. I've shared this in church, but let me mention it here as well. I had a person write me who I think may be searching, honestly, uh, very strict. I think she's a very strict Roman Catholic. I think she came over our stuff at the fair and she wrote me. And part of her email that she wrote me at the end, because she was basically really struggling and as a matter of fact, arguing in a sense. She was polite. She wasn't rude. But she was arguing, but she's trying to understand it. Now listen, here's what she said, and I quote, if I ever were to believe in your theory about only faith being necessary, the first thing I would do would be to never do good works, quit going to church. Of course, I would still believe, that's easy. I guess there is some sarcasm in there. Listen to this, and lead a life full of sin and pleasure, unquote. If I believe like you do, that's what I would go do. That's the way I would live. Listen to me. She knows nothing of the grace of God. Nothing. Once you are saved, if you let grace teach you, it will lead you into living a godly life. But it is a choice that we must make. It's not something required. It's a proper response to the fact God has saved us by his grace. You know, listen, and there are people who know the contradiction I'm about to share with you, and they just kind of keep it to yourself. In a sense, it's an elephant in the room. Here it is. That crazy church at Northland, those people are crazy. I mean, they believe salvation's a gift, and you trust Christ, and no matter what, you're going to heaven because you put your faith in Christ. How in the world could anybody believe that? But you know what? I don't get it, because these people get saved, and then All of a sudden, you know, they couldn't stand church before. But now they've got this salvation, they say, as a gift. And now they're going to church three times a week. 
I mean, nobody goes to church three times a week. I mean, even the Catholic Church had to start having it on Saturday night because they couldn't get them there on Sunday. You know that's true. And not just the Catholics, by the way. A lot of people are that way. So how is it that we come Sunday morning, Sunday night, many even to Sunday school? (gasps) Man, what are you going to be, a fanatic? And then on Wednesday, and then you take a whole week and go to this family camp where you're learning the Bible twice a day? And what, are you crazy? (laughs) No, we have tasted the grace of God. We are saved by the grace of God. And we love the Lord because of the grace of God. And therefore, what we do, we don't do it to earn salvation or to keep salvation or to prove salvation. We do it because we love the Lord and we just can't get enough of him. That's why. Salvation is a gift. Listen carefully. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin, and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount, mount outpoured, there where the blood of the lamb was spilt. Verse three, marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on those who believe. You that are longing to see his face, will you this moment his grace receive. The chorus, grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Do you know Christ? He wants to save you. He'll save you for free because he paid the price that was necessary for your salvation. If you've never trusted him, would you do that today? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.